thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 201, a POW camp or rehab. Last time, Boynton joined the nearly 100 officers and men kept at Ofuna Prison Camp just to the southwest of Tokyo. As hard as Pappy's life had been up to this point, some of it his doing, other parts not so much, his dogged determination to survive and thrive had always seen him through. There had been many low points, but now there was this. To be sure, his determination was still strong, but looking around, he could see that these men needed hope. They needed a leader, and that was another thing he did well, even if his methods were unorthodox. But what Pappy did not know, and this is probably for the best, was that the Japanese Navy, which ran the Ofuna prison camp, had not registered it with the Red Cross or the U.S. government. Basically, the men here no longer existed, which freed up the Japanese to get all useful information from them by any means. Further using the West's legal system against itself, the camp guards informed Pappy and the others that as they were special captives and not regular POWs, they were not subject to the Geneva Convention. Thus, Anything could happen to these men, and the world would never know. Indeed, the local villagers around Ofuma did not even know of the camp's existence. And yet, being Americans, British nationals, and other Allied personnel, it didn't take long for the still-defiant prisoners to come up with names for their captors. The three questioners were called the Quiz Kids, and it would be Handsome Harry, as he was called, one Kunichi Sasaki, who questioned Pappy first. The general plan seemed to be to question these men for a few weeks, mixed in with random beatings, so by the time they spoke to the camp commander, hopefully, they were broken enough to answer all his remaining questions. The Japanese Navy was in a rough spot by early 1943 and needed any intel they could get, hence the intensity of the questions and the blows. When Pappy finally got to see the camp commander, or was it the other way around, the commander had a note that said Pappy had been awarded the Medal of Honor. Pappy assumed a rather intense beating was about to happen, but the commander said that the Empire honors all heroes, and that his wounds from crashing would be attended to, which happened. But if Pappy thought his day-to-day treatment would be any different from the other men, well, he was soon set to rights. Quick smart. Not that the guards needed an excuse to abuse their charges, but they were always created anyways. The prisoners were forced to stand on the balls of their feet, bend over, and raise their hands above their heads. This could only go on so long, due to gravity and fatigue, and as soon as the first man started lowering his arms, they were all beaten. Or if the younger guards wanted some exercise, they would simply pull a prisoner out, surround him, and start kicking and punching. But the worst beatings came after word of another Allied victory, and as 1943 rolled on, so did the Allied tidal wave, coming ever closer to the Empire's home islands. And making it worse, the Japanese doctor was either inept or unconcerned, because his administrations left much to be desired. 
Hell, even if he had wanted to really help, there wasn't much in the way of medical supplies or food to help the men recover. But at least the beatings related to the string of Allied victories gave the men hope that they would be out of here one day if they survived until then, whenever that was. Again, Boynton was not beyond beatings. His questioners would give him cigarettes, but when he smoked them later, a beating was his reward, as he had not asked for permission to smoke in the first place. Pappy learned fast not to trust anyone here. Yet it must be remembered that the POW's relative health was not important to the captors. They just wanted information relative to the war, and then these men were free to die. Pappy's wounds from his crash began to heal, but just. His meal, like everyone else's, consisted of a cup of rice and watery soup. Pappy would go from 180 pounds to 110 pounds by the end of summer of 1944. But as he still had some fight in him, Pappy brought up the idea of making an escape. But the other officers quickly disabused Boynton of such thoughts. First, they were on an island. Next, they did not speak the language, and no one would help them. But the biggest obstacle was that they looked different than everyone else here on the island. No, they would have been captured quickly and terminated. It was not time to escape, they said, only to survive. Which left small gestures of defiance. Like each morning, the POWs were forced to face Tokyo and bow to the emperor which they did, but while doing so, they would whisper curse words at Hirohito. Anything to resist. Pappy and many others from the camp would say after the war that though they were in a secret camp that technically did not exist, they were able to keep up with the war through newly arrived prisoners or their guards who shared basic information and that they did not really want war with America And finally, some of the prisoners learned just enough Japanese words to get the gist of the guards' conversations. Again, things were going well out there, but in here, they just had to hang on. Meanwhile, back home, Pappy, now assumed dead, was getting the hero's treatment. He was written about, and his combat exploits were rehashed. America was sending Pappy off as an American hero. Which is when, in March of 1944, FDR awarded him the Medal of Honor. Officially, though, it was awarded by Truman on October 5th, 1945. But, as this is America, the land of hope, rumors would never quite go away that Pappy was still alive. His men remembered him saying on that morning, I may disappear with 30 Zeeks on my tail, But remember, I'll meet you guys in a San Diego bar six months after the war. By God, some of them were waiting for the war to end to see if Pappy would keep that date. For now, all they could do was send up patrols near his crash site for any signs of life. But it was this hope that he was still alive that tortured some of his fans. And Pappy's mother got a postcard supposedly from a campmate of her son's, that said he was still alive. Problem was, it was not an official government communique, which made it hearsay. Still, she had to hope, like the rest of the country. Then perhaps the god of war smiled on Pappy. Clearly, he was one of his favorites. 
Nine months after arriving at Afuna and surviving the beatings and losing all that weight, in September of 44, Pappy was sent to work in the camp's kitchens. It was a relatively easy job, minus the 16-hour days, but he was able to sneak some extra soup and build up his strength and weight. Also, as these camps were not meant for its occupants to survive, Pappy also got help from a local woman named Oba. Why she helped him? Who can say? But she would watch out for the guards as Boynton stole soup or whatever food was to hand. Then they would share a cigarette and smile. As mentioned, when Pappy first started working in the kitchens, he was about 70 pounds underweight. But between the extra stolen rations and reduced or at least organized beatings, he started to recover his health. But the other factor in this success story was that Pappy no longer had access to alcohol. Oh, on New Year's Day 1944, a guard gave him a sip of sake. But other than that, Pappy was looking at a man reborn each time he looked at his reflection. The days passed by and had long ago blended into each other. But about a month and a half after that New Year's sake drink, Allied bombing started getting closer to the camp, though the Americans did not know of its existence. Not only was Funa not too far from Tokyo, but 12 miles away, there was a naval yard, and as early 1945 went by, that area was attacked over and over, the POWs having no trouble seeing the planes overhead or the results of their work below. Not even the great empire could hide the fact that the enemy was getting closer and obviously winning this war. The prisoners, it will come as no surprise, were beat if they watched or cheered these attacks, but Boynton could not help himself. The first thing that he and the others noticed was that the planes above were carrier-based, which meant one, a carrier, hell, probably more than one, had to be close by. And two, if the Americans were bringing their warships this close to Japan, then the territory to the south, specifically the Philippines, must have been back in Allied hands. Clearly, the war had to be over soon. That may be, but it wasn't over yet. Nor was Pappy's time as a prisoner. That April of 1945, Pappy and about 17 others were moved to another camp about 25 miles away, at Omori. Pappy's first thought was, well, if I become a regular prisoner, I'll have access to more food and the Red Cross. Finally, my family can learn that I am still alive. After a series of rides and walking the last five miles, the men were shown a camp that was in the Bay of Tokyo, and a 600-foot wooden causeway was its only entrance or exit. But just in case Pappy or anyone else got their hopes up, the first day there, they spent standing at attention, all day, in the rain and wind. Then an officer approached them and said, You are to remain in this camp as special prisoners. If any of you try to escape, you will be killed. So much for an improvement. Next, the special prisoners, like Pappy, were placed in the first of six prisoner barracks, and if anyone had hopes of talking to the newcomers, well, they knew better. As one regular prisoner put it after the war, there the special POW rations were less than what we got, 
They weren't allowed any privileges. They were confined to their barracks and to the ground around the barracks. Not that the special prisoners were not expected to work. They got up at 6 a.m., had a paltry breakfast, and then, in groups, marched off to their workplace. At first, the POWs mostly cleaned up after the latest bomb raid. But soon, Pappy and some of the others were being sent out to dig caves to serve as bomb shelters for the Japanese. When the bombings came, the prisoners were left in their cages. After their grueling day of work, they would walk back the six miles, again after digging in a cave all day, for a second cup of soup that was mostly water. And it was during those walks that the prisoners learned to look out for each other in case someone started to falter. They could be grabbed and supported by the other prisoners. But the men were also on the lookout for gifts, in a matter of speaking, that were left on the road by the locals. It wasn't much, but the searching passed the time, and when a cigarette stub or a roasted soybean was found, it made the trip more bearable. As for why the locals did this, it must be remembered that during the late 1920s and 1930s, the Japanese military, after a series of political murders, pretty much took over or manipulated their way into power. This had not been a choice or a referendum. And since then, the message from the military, now the government was, sacrifice everything for victory, for the armed forces. The military was seeking glory, and it was willing to sacrifice its own citizens to achieve this. Amongst the various prisoners, there was an American who had been captured after Wake Island fell back in December of 1941. He and Pappy became friends, and this friend explained the three rules to the newcomer. First, cry only when you are alone, for who knows what emotional domino effect it may have on the men, and the guards would use this as an excuse to see the allied men as weak and therefore beat them some more. Second, when at meals, the men had to finish eating all at the same time, for their hunger was so constant that if one man took his time and had food left over, the others may feel compelled to fight him for it. Lastly, if any outside food made its way into camp, however it happened, that food was to be shared as much as possible. Truly, a prison camp of equals. Equally miserable. The good news for the famous Pappy was that this camp had more men in it than did Ofuna, making it a bit easier to get lost in the crowd. But the guards and the other POWs knew who he was. For the men, they saw that he was not treated any better than themselves, so he was okay by them. When it came to the guards, however, there was a spectrum. Some respected the tough aviator, some beat him all the more for it, others just went about their day. Yet, as 1945 went by, the beatings generally increased as the war went from bad to worse for the Empire, and Pappy was no exception. After each beating, the American military physicians would look at their victims, treat them with what little supplies they had from the Rust Cross, and basically just tried to make them comfortable as their bodies healed, however much they were going to heal, given their poor diet and living conditions. And yet, for all that misery, it was worse for the special prisoners, like Pappy. Lieutenant John M. Arkbuckle, 
who was with Pappy every step of the way in being a POW, later testified that men like Pappy were not allowed medical attention, baths, and had less food, and were beat more. So much for special. Ironically, it was a local guard named Kano that helped the prisoners by bending the rules himself. First, he would sneak food to the special prisoners or find excuses to bring them to the Allied doctors for a checkup. Also, Kano made it possible for the two sets of prisoners to talk to each other, to share updates on the war. This was the only thing that kept the isolated special prisoners' morale up, knowing that the war was grinding to an end. And it was the prisoners themselves that, after learning the camp's rules, also learned how to get around them. For example, in the barracks, the men fashioned a hot plate together to better purify their food and to keep them warm, whereas the men working outside the camp used their hats, socks, and now oversized shirts and pants to hide smuggled food back into the camp for the rest of the men. But there was more to the men resisting than just smuggled food under a hat. The men, when they could, sabotaged their equipment or mislabeled supplies heading to the front. Overall, their actions did not change the war effort, but it made them feel better and it gave them hope. They were doing something. And without hope, nothing is possible. A man's character is made by a certain age. It certainly was for Pappy, and like how he brought his men under his wings when he became squadron commander, Boynton did what he could to help those in the camp. Problem was, he and few other special prisoners were kept separate from the main body. Still, firstly, his sheer presence, when the men had been told that he had been shot down and dead, gave them hope. Next, and this may seem weird, as we are talking about a POW camp where men died most days, but for some of these prisoners, like Hal Halloran, who idolized Pappy, he finally got to meet him, though it wasn't a latrine. It was Halloran who confirmed to Pappy that he had earned the Medal of Honor, to which Pappy replied, temporarily not worried about looking less than perfect for his fan, that he would trade that award for a hamburger right here, right now. And indeed, the consensus seemed to be, even with the British POWs, that cheeseburgers were the greatest things in the world. And for people like Halloran, Pappy's sheer presence, much less when he smiled or winked at them, gave the men hope. His presence helped them decide that if he could take it, they could too. Besides, no one wants to look weak in front of their hero. If another example is needed, after the war, the Chicago Daily Tribune wrote up a story that witnesses said that Pappy took 47 hits from a baseball bat before crying out. Pappy's fire may have only been simmering in his weakened state, but it was there, and the men could sense it. Before becoming a POW, Pappy would spend the evenings telling his pilots of the basics of air combat over and over. Now in here, he was telling everyone to hang in there, don't give up. This was certainly true for the younger men who had been captured during their practically first combat experience. 
The light was going out of their eyes, so Pappy would sit with them one-on-one and regale them with stories so they would forget about their own situation for a while, and then he would pat them on the knee and say, hang in there, we'll walk out together. It may have been Pappy's greatest moment as a prisoner when he was trying to help a 19-year-old who would not or chose not to eat anymore. He started to swell up, and so Pappy was brought in. First, Pappy gave his standard speech about not giving up and letting the unit down. When that didn't work, Pappy tried to force-feed the boy himself, which didn't work either. Perhaps his body couldn't take food in any longer or could not hold it down. Either way, after this particular struggle, the boy whispered, Please, Greg, don't scold me. The boy didn't make it, but the entire camp got to see a side of Pappy that the papers never covered. As can be expected, the prison camp was an emotional roller coaster for the men, in between the beatings. Just three days before Pappy was moved from Ofuna to Omori, a guard told him that FDR had died. The men talked about this and hoped that Truman was up to the task. But the next month, another rumor went round about another leader's death. This time, it was Hitler in the news. And the only thing the prisoners could focus on was that, with Hitler's death, Germany would be out of the war soon. Which meant the U.S. would be able to focus itself in its entirety on the Pacific. Yes, this war would be over soon. The question was how many of these captives would still be around to witness it. 